0: I'm Dr. Sky Katz of Scott from Health with Heart, and this podcast is a celebration of the purpose, capacity, and magic of the human body and its ability to heal and take us to new places. Join me on a journey exploring new aspects of medicine and healing for our collective well-being.
1: Earth with Heart With Dr. sky I am
0: Thank you so much for joining me in our first podcast studio recording, Rabbi Dr. David Nossel, who I'm so excited to have a conversation with because I was raised in a household where medical intuitives and mind-body connection was very center stage, and it's something that I'm very cognizant of in my medicine. And so I'm very excited to have a conversation with somebody with a very deep spiritual background, and a deep medical background. And so I'm going to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about who you are. And did you become a rabbi first or a doctor first? And what the chronology of events
2: was? Thanks, Guy. Thanks for inviting me onto your very first podcast. I'm very honored. I wish you lots of success. I'm sure success will follow. I hope I'm not going to disappoint you. I grew up in a completely non-medical background. None of my family were doctors. I was a a curious uh, youth. Um, I loved to read the World Book Encyclopedia. Uh, I loved to read the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my parents encouraged me to go to medical school. 17 years young, um, very young, I went to Wits Medical School. After third year, I I was feeling a little bit boxed in. This is, this is not enough for me. I needed to experience a little bit more of the world part that I'd been interested in as a youth. And so there was an option to do a year uh, out of the main course. Uh, it was an option to do a BSc lab med. And I opted for that, did a lab med in um, ChemPath. Chemical pathology. Wow, and but the main thing I did was I went to main campus, okay, and then I did my drama and film, and economics and social anthropology and English, and other exciting courses, and that was good for me. I re-entered at fourth year level, and that's the clinical years, and I was very relieved to uh, realise that this this did have an attraction for me. I enjoyed the clinical side of medicine.
0: Well, People are always interesting.
2: Right, right. Even it was if the, the th- medicine's not. And at that time in medical school, I got reassociated with my religious origins. We used to have a Jewish group that would have lunch for us. It's always a good idea to invite for lunch, you know. And then they would have a speaker, a campus rabbi or somebody who would, a visiting rabbi in, They would talk about interesting topics, and I was brought up in more of a traditional Jewish home, not much observance, Um, and I went to a Jewish day school, King David, also traditional, not much observance, but then from about fourth year, hearing those rabbis going on student weekends, um, I got to see that there's something actually very profound in Jewish wisdom, and it attracted me and it um, lured me and I became very involved. Uh, I became fanatic, super fanatic, and I would finish my day's study, whether it was in the lecture halls of uh, medical school or on the uh, in the wards, and I'd head off to the synagogue to study the Talmud. And I was hooked. I was completely hooked.
0: For, for those listening, do you want to tell us a little bit about the contents of the
2: Talmud? Oh, the contents of the Talmud.
0: Broad, broad sweeps.
2: Well, as a youth, I mentioned I was fascinated by the World Book Encyclopedia. Well, this is the, the universe book of Jewish wisdom. It's encyclopedic in size, um, and it's filled with everything. Knowledge and debate and insight into every aspect of life. And it's written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Now, Aramaic is already sounds out there. It is. It is. It's a kind of mixture between Hebrew and other ancient language spoken in Babylon. And our sages say spoken by Adam and Eve. And I had to master Aramaic, the Hebrew I had fortunately from school days. And then when I felt I was in a world of magic, magic, everything I would have ever loved to have known. And it's not just esoteric, it's profound to the greatest degree. It talks about everything that's important in life. And I needed to know how to do that.
0: So you were studying medicine and Talmud
2: I was studying medicine and Talmud, yeah.
0: But you finished your medical degree?
2: I was not sure if I was going to or not. My rabbi at the time, my spiritual guru, encouraged that I did finish the medicine. I was going to, after fifth year, I was uh, going to head off to Jerusalem and put myself in a rabbinical seminary forever. And that would be the end of it. And he said, "You know, you got not too much to still complete. Why don't you complete it? At least you'll complete it." And it was good because, and I thought, and he also recommended your parents. You know, at least give, give them, them the, the Nachis. give them the nachos, the joy, <laughs> the Jewish joy of being able to say, "My son, the doctor." So I did that, um, and uh, the week after I got my registration with the SMDC, the then Medical and Dental Council of South Africa, which is now the Health Professional Council of South Africa, the week after I did my internship at the then Boxburg only Hospital, I left for Israel. And I was intending to be there forever. But I was only there for a short 20 years. And in that time, I never thought I was coming back. I never thought I was going to see a stethoscope again and Didn't even pay my fees for the Health Professional Council of South Africa, I told. Didn't even tell my mom to pay the fees for the Health Professional Council of South Africa. And I learnt. I sat and I learnt. For 20 years? For 20 years.
0: Did you have a family along the way?
2: I did. Okay. I did. So I guess I didn't only sit and learn. I married a South African, similar journey to me, name's Leanne, and we had eight children.
0: Eight. Eight. That's a lot of children.
2: It's a lot of children. I was her ninth, so she was a very busy lady. You know, she had to look after them and me. Uh, I told you never wanted to grow up. And um after twenty years got quite uh, quite what could I say, we, we had a bit of a crossroads because it was hard for Leanne. It was it's not an easy lifestyle. She's very busy, she's got to look after all of us. And um I was doing a little bit of teaching on the side, but not much. And we both felt I wasn't really developing a career. And it was very difficult for her. Our kids were a little bit not so settled. And we decided we'd come back to South Africa. We did 2009. We came back. And what was I going to do? I came back without knowing what I was going to do. There was a little bit of a suggestion I can maybe do some learning here and a certain Yeshiva or Kolel, um maybe teach, which I tried a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It wasn't all that successful. I eventually found a couple of rabbinic positions in certain shuls, synagogues in Johannesburg. And in the meantime, in the background, I was trying to see maybe I should I am after all a qualified, once registered medical, medical practitioner. <laughs> it's worth something. And, I just spent eight years in it. Maybe I should re-look at that. And so when I came back, I sent a letter to the Health Professional Council of South Africa saying, Dear Health Professional Council of South Africa, please, could you guide me as to the process of re-registering? Dear Dr. Nossel, your application has been denied. That's all? That's all. Wow. I had to write back. I haven't yet applied. I just <laughs> want to know how to apply. And <laughs> okay, that my sounds very HBCSA ish. You know, yeah, like, thank you very much. You know, i you know, so I didn't even have to apply. I was already automatically rejected without. Rem- and the truth is, I, went, I, 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 I persisted. I persevered. I persisted kind of on a back burner, not, you know, with a full heart because I, after all, wanted to be in, uh, in, in, in the, in the spiritual worlds. But I did uh, keep writing to them, and they kept writing back to me. And um, when I think back at it, they actually didn't want to do, didn't know what to do with me. They don't have every Monday and Thursday a doctor coming back and saying, "I haven't practiced for it was now heading to thirty years. Wow. I haven't practiced for thirty years. Can I have my license back, please?" Okay. So, well, they send it to this department and that committee and this and the other.
0: So, what did they do with you in the end?
2: So, in the end. I have to tell you a little bit of a story. I was busy minding my own business which was the rabbinic business in 2017. So that's almost eight years after having arrived back in South Africa. And I was a co-rabbi at a synagogue called Waverly, Waverly Shore just off the Corley Drive Highway. And there's two synagogues in the complex. There's the big one, the top and there's a small one called the downstairs shul and it's on sukkot there's a family they're not having a bar mitzvah and they want to have it even though they belong to the downstairs shul they want to have it upstairs so they engage with me because i'm the rabbi at the upstairs to help them and i walk home with the mother of the bar mitzvah boy after the service and she says to me rabbi nassel i understand that you're a doctor I said, it's mm, true. She said, wonderful, because she needs to work with a doctor. I said, what work? She said, she works with autistic kids. Am I available? So I said, well, no.
0: On, this, to- on the
2: spot, up front? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I said, unfortunately, I don't have my registration, but I can offer some counseling because I imagine it's very trying and very difficult and there's lots of uh, issues that can um, come up and that need help, I can offer my rabbinic skills. But my medical skills have been put on ice for 30 years and the Health Professional Council of South Africa doesn't know what to do with me. She said, "Mm, counseling we don't need. We need somebody who can prescribe. She needs somebody with an MBBCH.
0: Everybody wants drugs.
2: Yes. Two weeks later, I got a message from the committee of Waverly Shul. We have two rabbis. We only need one. Wow. You came in second spot. Off I went when I heard that message. The next day, I went in my car and I drove to Pretoria to the offices of the Health Professional Council of South Africa, which up until that time I'd only corresponded via email. Big mistake. I arrived on their doorstep. They saw that I was alive and existed, and they said, Dr. Nossel, you will be writing, you are first on the list to write the Foreign Doctors' Board exam in May of 2018. I put myself in Witts Medical School Library. I remember some of the books that I'd read 30 years earlier. Mm. I studied day and night. I wrote the exam, and I passed
0: well done. Thanks.
2: <laughs> that was not <laughs> easy. The requirements were that I do a year of supervised practice in private practice, which I did. Did that a wonderful practice in Bedford View. And then I was I Free. got my license back. Called up the lady, said, Your doctor has is here. She said, Great, you need to be trained. And she sc- uh, put me in touch with a specialist world authority in autism called Dr. Kurt Woller, W-O-E-L-L-E-R, worthwhile Looking him up. And he does courses on autism mastery. She enrolled me in the course. I did the course. He's a wonderful man, very knowledgeable. I'm in touch with him to this day. He, he trained the group. And I became sufficiently proficient to treat uh, people with autism.
0: And do you only see children with autism spectrum disorder?
2: Mainly, but not only.
0: Okay. I think it's important to contextualize where we are with autism Mm. in the world today. Um, I have a graph in front of me that we'll share in the show notes. Um, But in in the year 2000, the CDC said there was one in 150 autistic children – And now in 2018, which is where the graph ends, it's one in 44, which is quite staggering. Um, And so I think it's important in this conversation that we unpack some thoughts around why that is and what could be the contributing factors to this very poignant moment in medicine. Um, And then maybe go on to explore some of the tools that you use. So let's let's maybe wind back to to what is autism right. for somebody who might not be familiar with that.
2: Right. What is autism? So as we enter this maze of complexity, it's worthwhile starting off on a point where everybody agrees because it's not going to stay like that. Everybody agrees that there are two primary criteria for the diagnosis of autism. And the first one is a lack of social engagement Mm -hmm. with all of its manifestations, reduced eye contact, preferring to be alone.
0: And this is from a very young age, right? So this is something that you'd identify in a child from their verbal age of one.
2: Right, exactly, exactly, more or less. Sometimes it's even earlier, but from one age or so, the age of one or so. That's the first area, is decreased social engagement. Mm -hmm. And the second one is unusual behaviors. Things like, you know, the classic one is lining up Toys, you know, systematically, yeah, you know, systematically. That, and I have seen that. It's like it's not just you know, uh, it's, out not there. Just a it's not just a textbook It's not just a textbook. Yeah, it's unbelievable <laughs> how these things are actually. I see them on a very frequent basis. So there's lining up of toys, but there's more, a much greater spectrum of manifestations, Which of course, is why it's called the autism spectrum, because there's so many um, diverse manifestations and symptoms that. Uh, a person with autism display can display, but things like um, repeating things, obsessive compulsive behaviours, people who think in threes, uh, you know, sharing with you real life stuff, mm. um, and uh, other behaviours like uh, with classic hand flapping when a person gets excited, a child gets excited, or toe walking, um, running around in circles. Um, And other things which are sensory behaviours, very, very commonly uh, food sensitivities, uh, taste, texture, uh, other sensitivities to being touched, um, sound. So there's something that is going on in the, uh, uh, it's not only a child, but uh, in the patient that is causing these repetitive behaviours, these unusual behaviours. And the decrease in social engagement. Those are the two criteria. There's a third element which may or may not be there, Mm -hmm. which is language. Language. Trouble with language. Trouble with language. Some language fallout. Okay. Either receptive language, which is following commands. Understanding. or expressive language, which is speaking. And it can be, can't say the sound R, can be. Bit of swapping of letters can be not finding words, not being able to, or, or of course, in the extreme, no words whatsoever, mm-hmm. averbal, no verb, no, uh, no, no speech at all. Those three are the pillars of a diagnosis of autism.
0: And uh, am I correct to say that there are no biomarkers? There's no, there's nothing. We've got no hardware here. There's yet.
2: no right, right yet. Um, as of yet, there is no test, single test called the autism test. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about why that is. There is a pathogenesis. There is a understanding of what is happening um, with a person who has this this condition, and what is it? Right. Let's talk about what is at the core, at the essence of. Autism. Mm. If I had to show, show you a child or a patient, a person who's displaying two or three of these symptoms, again, the lack of social engagement, the repetitive behaviors, plus or minus the speech deficit, what would you think? What would you think, just as a person without the medical background, without what? You'd be quite astounded, especially if you hear some of the things that some people will not wear shoes. Some people will not take off their shoes. Some people will sit in their leather jacket 24-7. There's something going on here. What would you think? And I've almost had that opportunity because not only was I unfamiliar with autism in medical school, my day, mm. it was part of the statistical very low. I, mean, I, could, I did medical school in the 1980s. So we didn't have much about it at all. Mm. And so I came, I came back to medicine and I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't even know that the graph had gone up. I didn't know anything. And I've th- had that opportunity of what's going on over here. I would think that a person should say the following.
0: We're going to insert a drum roll now.
2: Great. Drum roll now. (laughs) Carry on. What has the person swallowed? What on earth has that person swallowed? I'll give you a second scenario. Somebody comes into a room, finds a bottle on the desk, takes a few swigs of it and starts to have three symptoms, one, decrease in speech, mm. two, unusual behaviors, three, a loss of social engagement. What is the nature of what's in that bottle?
0: I don't know, an anesthetic agent?
2: <laughs> Could be. Could be. Could be. But I gonna give you something much more common. Alcohol. 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 Somebody who has had too much alcohol has those three hallmarks. Hallmarks, yeah. Slurring of speech, disengaged from the with the environment, and
0: strange behavior,
2: and strange behaviors, and they've hit me straight between the eyes. You know, we all know what the word for somebody who has drunk too much alcohol is called intoxication, mm-hmm. from the word toxic. Toxic. Autism is an inability, essentially an inability to detoxify. It's an oversimplification, and we'll have to clarify, but that, in essence, is what it is. And so I had to learn that there's a whole biological process of detox. The body is programmed to detox.
0: Which is something that you don't really learn about at medical school. And and which is something that functional medicine or integrative medicine speaks to.
2: 100%. Yeah. And that is, I touched on it, and now you've touched on it, Mm. a little bit of controversy, but we don't, we don't, I'm not interested in the controversy, really. It's it's not. Let's assume
0: everybody is receptive to what we want to say.
2: That's exactly right. And I think everybody would be.
0: Yes. I feel like we don't have many options in this arena. That's
2: it. And you know what? I'll say one more thing. If the classical conventional mainstream approach worked I wouldn't be in this field whatsoever yeah one of the fascinating aspects of treating people with autism is that they almost always which is a safe way of saying always present with somatic symptoms they always have other body issues. They're not completely well people bodily and they come in with these three, two or three symptoms. It's well known, and I see it all the time. Gut issues, Mm. inflammatory issues, Mm. allergic issues, asthma, hospitalizations, ear problems, throat problems multiple antibiotic um, courses, Mm. I would say always there's some
0: dysregulation of gastrointestinal function
2: of body wellness. Okay. That's something.
0: And and once you, I mean, I think we'll talk more about the detoxification shortly, but once you start to augment and facilitate better detoxification, do, do you see a reversal of symptoms and dramatic improvements?
2: You bet. <laughs> you bet. Uh, Definitely.
0: I, I, I'm always boggled by why the mainstream medical world is, is not more receptive to, to these kinds of approaches. And, I mean, I, we use, we, we're, we're watching things like the word inflammation creep into cardiology and… Right. Uh, and microbiome creep into right. mental health, but but it feels very slow. Right. Uh,
2: uh, uh, why? Let me try and answer you in a in the best way that I can. I try and address this with every single family that I help. You know, I have the privilege of being included in. A number of families attempt to find a solution for their child. And sometimes I make it to the 60th place in their search. Wow. I once had a family come to me and they said, we've been to lots of doctors. I said, how many have you been to? They said, 60. Wow. I said, you're serious? We are highly trained professionals, from very good medical school, mm-hmm. medical schools. It's important to know that we are trained in pharmaceutical medicine. That's not an embarrassment. It's just the truth. It's the truth. Mm-hmm. It's just the truth. And we're excellent at it. And we are, spend a lot of time on it. And when we finish the basic sciences up until third year of whatever it is, we go into fourth year and we start with pharmacology. And we learn. I remember the lecturer, lectures about pharmacology, and we learn about pharmacology. And it's a fantastic subject, and it's a massive contribution to humankind. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But it's one of many modalities of treatment. It just so happens that autism doesn't fall under the umbrella of pharmacological intervention. There are some drugs, there are some medications that can have an effect and can have a benefit. But it's universally understood and agreed upon that those drugs Do not remove the autistic behaviors and condition. They can calm it. They can temper it. They can make it more manageable. But there's no speak of reversing or healing or curing the autistic symptoms. All of us acknowledge and what's taught and everybody agrees to it. There is no such thing as a medication without... Now we get what's it called? An adverse effect. An adverse or even more gentle. Yeah. You're a little bit too side worried. effect. Side, it's
0: got a side, uh, effect side effect. On the side. <laughs> there's something on the side. It's a side effect. No, I mean all, all doctors have got a mims on their on, on sure, their desk. And sure. I, when every time I open my mims, I I want to cringe.
2: Right. So there's a side effect. Why is there a side effect? Because the substance has a artificial component which is inherently, intrinsically toxic. Now, I don't know if it's a good idea to say that every single drug has its toxicity, but that's more or less it's put into a expression, a euphemism of it has its side effect. Yeah. For a now let's put it all together. For a person mm. who's on the spectrum, mm. whose inherent core issue is an inability to detoxify, that's not a good idea to give them pharmaceutical medicines.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's take a step back. Yeah. And let's talk about an approach to an autistic or maybe even an attention deficit child right
2: let's let's you 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 asked me to um bring in um, attention deficit let's do that okay there's an entire gene structure for detox mm-hmm. the body has the necessary genes which code for the necessary proteins which when they affect the chemical pathways, they're called enzymes. So the genes come for enzymes to help the body detox. There's another entire set of genes which helps the body react to irritation, infection, injury called the inflammatory system. Okay. The body's built to be able to handle any injury or any insult, insult to the body. What happens when that genetic system is inefficient? So the body doesn't temper its inflammatory response to that insult. So when it's balanced, we call it acute inflammation,
0: which we need for Which healing. we need?
2: Yeah. But when it's out of balance, it's called chronic inflammation. I like to with my patients I like to compare it to an army. If there's a problem in a country and there's something that's going to threaten the citizens, you need the army to come in. And they have to deal with the problem, hopefully humanely and correctly. And then then leave. And then leave. (laughs) And then leave. If they don't leave, the army's the problem. Exactly. (laughs) That's the same thing with inflammation. We need it, but it has to know when to leave. And when it doesn't, because the genes which code for enzymes don't switch those um, inflammatory um, uh, mat- particles, inflammatory chemicals off. So then we now, the inflammatory system is a problem. Now we've got enough information. Now this is the my training, my Talmudic training. When the toxicity is together with inflammation, so then you have what I call a double whammy. Because you have an excess of toxins in the body, and plus that you have an amplification system called the inflammatory system, which amplifies the effects of those toxins. Because they are irritating. Toxins irritate.
0: Let's talk about what those toxins are.
2: The problem for these people is not so much an excessive exposure to toxins, but a deficient removal of toxins. They can't detoxify. It doesn't matter what toxins you expose them to, and they're plenty.
0: Maybe in layman's terms, it's Mm -hmm. important to Mm -hmm. say that your body is performing functions all the time. That's right. And there are metabolic byproducts of those functions all the time, and somebody needs to sweep them out. That's right. And excrete them in stool or in urine.
2: Right, that's more or less the very good definition of endogenous toxins coming from inside. Okay, and that is, as you say, from a meal, as endogenous. Whatever we do, um, carbon dioxide is a toxin Mm. which we breathe out, Mm. and we got to get rid of these things. Got to rid them through any of the systems of uh, um, removing. Um, toxins, like, as I said, breathing out, sweating, urine, and feces, mm-hmm. um, stool, as we call it. And amazingly, the, one of the main symptoms, one of the main signs of, uh, of autism is an inability to get rid of the toxins. Chronic constipation is extremely common. It's not that, the gut is the cause of the main issue. The gut's a manifestation of the main issue. Mm-hmm. The genes which are getting these toxins out are working inefficiently. And so the other word, which would be nice if you could uh, translate, is xenotoxins, which are, of course, not the ones that your body produces, but that the environment, xeno meaning outside of, that we bombarded with mm-hmm. and boy, are we bombarded with toxins. But the main therapy will be directed not to put us in a bubble. Yes. And not to put us into very difficult discussions and… Restrictions. Yeah, and protests against the environment where the gains and the yields are difficult, Mm -hmm. but to empower the child and the patient to detoxify better whatever they are exposed to.
0: Talk to us about the relationship in your mind between autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. How do you see those two coexisting?
2: So at first glance, they are universes apart. What's the one got to do with the other? Mm -hmm. The one is a condition which we've described as being decreased social engagement, Unusual behaviors with or without speech fallout. What's that got to do with a person who has and ADHD has three main areas in attentiveness, not being receptive mm-hmm. sufficiently long or too busy, disruptive. You know, too much agitated, <laughs> agitated. Too yeah. much uh, expression, yeah. or just too much energy, hyperactivity. You're like can't sit still for a second. It's not that they're disruptive or that they are inattentive. They're just busy all the time. Mm-hmm. What's the connection between those? They're very different symptoms, yeah. extremely different symptoms. Yeah. And so I realized a very, very fascinating thought and theory, and that is that when those two genetic inefficiencies Coincide. Mm -hmm. If the preponderance, it means the majority symptom is the toxicity, and the secondary symptom is inflammation, that manifests as primarily toxicity, amplified by inflammation, that is autism. Okay. And when it's the other way around, when it's primarily inflammation, Mm -hmm. and so inflammation is the person's inflamed. Not only medically, but actually behaviorally inflamed. Mm-hmm. They can't, their mind's not able to settle down. Their interruption is an inability to settle down and their hyperactivity is in, in, essentially inflamed and there's a secondary toxicity. So then they can't function properly mm. and that's ADHD. So they are really just inverses of each other and therefore they treated in the same very, way. very similar in very similar ways. It's just that when there's a patient or person with autism, the main emphasis is to detox, followed by to help with inflammation. Whereas with ADHD, it's the other way around, yeah. mainly to help with inflammation and secondarily with detoxification.
0: Should we talk a little bit about simple things that parents of these kinds of children can do that are that might be resource-limited? Um to shift environments or inputs in these children's worlds to improve symptoms.
2: Sure. So let's, again, take a step back mm-hmm. at what we can do and how it all fits together, get some kind of overview. Yes. There are three real main ways of, intervention, of intervening, three interventions that are possible. The first one is pharmacological, pharmaceutical. Mm -hmm. We spoke about that. Yes. Its role is short and little as possible. Were you taught that? Here's another, for me, it's a guiding principle. Mm -hmm. I like guiding principles. And this is possibly controversial. For me, my understanding in general Nutrition, the role of nutrition is in maintenance of wellness. That's a very, very good guideline. Because if we're going to try and replenish on nutrition, mm-hmm. we're going to battle. So that adage, let food be thy medicine. I'm not so, I'm not so hooked on. Let food be thy wellness.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I hold off. But you have to first be well. As I like to say, you have to give a lot, a lot of good food to give to somebody who's not well. Yeah. And so I probably upset the pharmaceuticals because I say it's it's places for those who need it urgently, as little as possible for as as as, as less as possible. And now I'm gonna upset the other side and that's Nutrition is vital.
0: Absolutely. But its
2: role is primarily maintenance.
0: I think that makes sense.
2: Right. Yeah. You have to eat a lot of sardines yes. to get sufficient omega-3s to counter somebody who is very, very ADHD.
0: Yeah. Or drink a lot of wine or, to get enough resveratrol.
2: Or, exactly. Or, or, and,
0: or, and I think that's where the supplement industry is becoming very helpful.
2: Into. Intervention three. Yeah. Supplements. Supplements. Now, supplements are going to get it from the pharmaceutical side. They're going to be termed, possibly being a bit rough here, a bit harsh, expensive urine. And I must say, when I was growing up, I never took a multivit. I think that's
0: changing, though. I think that's changing, and I think that the nutrient density of our food has changed significantly. I don't think that the apples we eat are equal to the apples 50 years ago. Right.
2: So remember, I stepped off from the universe for 30 years, and I've returned, so lot's happened, which has caught up to a lot of what I had to catch up to. But essentially diet is good for maintenance. In order to have enough of those healthy biological, non-toxic non-foreign materials they need to be concentrated mm. and that's called supplements. And that when they are strengthened into medical strengths, they're as medication so that's where the major therapy for ADHD and for ASD, autism Lies. That's what I do.
0: I think it's clear and and what I wanted the the loud and strong message to be is that there is help for families that are dealing with these kinds of issues. Um, and the specifics of that could could be delved into in person in consultation. But if you if you are dealing with somebody who's really resource constrained, and can't afford an American supplement, what practical advice do you have or would you have for families who are dealing with both ADHD and autistic spectrum disorder? Because I think there's probably overlap in in terms of an approach to screen time, um, maybe some broad sweeps about nutrition. I know that, that you said you're in replenishment and not maintenance, but um, starting points.
2: I do emphasize more supplements than lifestyle changes. Not that I disregard them, but I find that the magnitude is much greater. Okay. And so I would plus, plus, so hard. Lifestyle changes, we all know. Yeah. Are really hard. And so when a person's not feeling great, it's sometimes even harder. I recommend, and this is what I do for my patients. I recommend the best commercial products that are available at their local pharmacy. And for a few hundred rand, they can change their wellness. Wow. And I select for them the best that's available. And if they can wait for the special, they'll get two for half the price and whatever it is. It's a good multivit you know, with some of the methylated B vitamins.
0: So maybe that's something to just clarify. You can buy multivitamins all over the place. And a good hallmark of a good quality multivitamin is whether the folate is in its bioactive form. And I think it's methyl tetrahydrofolate.
2: Right. Right. So hopefully what I mentioned to you about methylation Mm -hmm. is not just, you know, super-duper folate. No, it's a folate with that extra carbon which is going to... Do unbelievable things in the body. Magnesium is a cofactor for over three hundred enzymes in the body. And so I recommend at least a magnesium chelate. So at least it's chelated, which means joined to an amino acid. Mm-hmm. And the three main magnesiums that are chelated. The first one is magnesium citrate, which is very good for helping the
0: gut, gut. to evacuate. Right. To evacuate.
1: Yeah.
2: Very the worst thing you can do the, the 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 so so
0: for somebody who doesn't have autism that might be listening to this if you're struggling with constipation a d- significant day uh, d- daily dose of magnesium citrate can be extremely helpful and is
2: very safe very yeah very the worst thing that can happen to a person on magnesium is they get a loose stool. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) That's not the worst thing. That's what I wanted. So it's perfectly safe. And, you know, let's interrupt ourselves to say that one of the very many beautiful aspects of this medicine is that it's so safe. It's so safe. You know, people ask me and I, I do recommend a number of supplements because the, the difficulty with this approach is that you do land up with lots of yeah. You know, and the reason is because each of those genes needs is, support. Needs support. Yeah. I can't give a silver bullet that, okay, this is going to fix up your entire library. You know, uh, it's a, it's a, some tipex, you know, or it's, it's some, mig- something which enhances one aspect. I've got to enhance each aspect, which is deficient. So it is, it can be a lot, but they don't have any issues with interactions. They don't interfere with medicines. They don't have toxicity. They don't have, what time do I have to have this in the, in the day? You can put them all together. Of course, some of them need to be done at a certain time. I wouldn't give melatonin at the beginning of the day because you'll fall asleep. Yeah. But generally, they all can be mixed and added together and taken in the morning and you're done. David, what supplements do you take? When it comes to somebody who is metabolically okay, And my family, as I mentioned to you, we we metabolically okay. Our genes, fortunately, uh, being a religious person, I can say thank God, are good. I don't think it's necessary to invest all that money, Mm. but at least I have knowledge of what can help when I need. And so I've trained my very dear wife, Leanne, who helps me in the practice, that when she's not feeling a bit run down or I'm feeling a bit run down, or my kids are feeling a little bit, got a scratchy throat, what to do with supplements. High dose, good, vitamin C.
1: Mm.
2: We're on vitamin D. Zinc. You know what? We have. It's another discussion for another time. One thing that COVID did do for us, it gave supplements... A voice. A voice. It's true. And for the first time you were seeing our colleagues... Running out of scripts, mm. vitamin C, mm. vitamin D, zinc, quercetin. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the other thing that COVID did was it gave inflammation a voice because it was such an eloquent manifestation of an inflamed body struggling to manage a pathogen.
2: The, cytosi- the yeah. cytokine, cytokine storm. storm yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't take on a, oh, there's one that I do take uh, that's an omega 3. Because I have a bit of a tendency for inflammation, and um, it's a fortified omega three, and it's helping me a little bit. with It's got some vitamin A in it, so I've got a little bit of I uh, finding my eyesight's not as good as it used to be. So I've put myself on a, a omega three with which with a, a, a vitamin A, and lo and behold, my eyesight's getting better, and I'm less inflamed. And you know, I do a little test. Every patient that I have, I do a test. I don't know if you do this test, Sky. You ask them to roll up their sleeve and you take your fingernail and you brush it down the side of their forearm and you all watch it and you see how reactive they are to a little bit of irritation. Do you do this test?
0: No, but it's so interesting. I saw a lady today with dermatographism where wherever she touches her body, she comes up in a welt in the design that she's drawn on her body. That's right. And so we had a long conversation about inflammation.
2: Right. So that's a, that's a, that is a clinical test of how inflamed a person is. Just looking you know, I'm pretty good, huh? Hey? But uh, dermatograph, how are you? I bro?
0: think everybody that's listening now is drawing down their arm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what you should see is there's a little bit of trace Of red for a couple of seconds. But what you might see is that various degrees of exaggeration or um, expression of that. Sometimes I see patients have white lines that go on either side of my nail mark, and then it becomes bright strawberry pink. Mm And as you said, called it dermatographia, dermo means skin, graphia, right to you. Can write on the, you can write the name on the skin mm. and there it will be. And that's a highly inflamed person. Mm. And I see it a lot. So I see that very commonly and I see gut issues very commonly.
0: Maybe let's finish let, Let's finish our conversation with a little bit of conversation around gut. Because I probably get evangelical talking about the, bio, the microbiome. Right. And I'm fascinated by where medicine's going. In that arena, um, do you use probiotics? Do you do you find that just having a healthy daily stool is is something that shifts a patient's profile?
2: Absolutely. I looked up what a certain doctor had to say about um, the role of gut, of the gut in um, in autism, mm-hmm. and he said autism is not a problem or concern or issue of the brain. It's an issue of the gut. Mm -hmm. And I had to agree and disagree. I agree with the first part. Mm -hmm. It's not an issue of the brain. And I commonly see families who come in and they've been to other doctors who have done MRIs, have done EEGs, And almost invariably perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. Plus there's a lot of intelligence there. They know how to open their parents phone. They know how to do mm, lots and lots of things. They can, they remember places. They, it's not a problem with the brain, Mm. but it's not a problem with the gut per se. It's a problem with the genetics, Mm. the weak genes in those six areas. And here's what I want to share with you. When a person's wellness is compromised, because every single cell is not maintaining itself and not growing well, those six areas, two organs are impacted the most. Organs, remember, are just conglomerates of cells. Mm -hmm. And so each individual cell is not working great. When it comes to the groups of cells, the organ of cells, two organs are going to be impacted the most. The brain and the gut. The brain is inherently okay. The gut is inherently okay. But the brain needs to be fed the greatest quality of metabolism and the gut needs to be fed the greatest quantity of metabolism. And when my metabolism is deficient, the brain's going to feel the effects of it, toxicity, and the gut's going to feel the effect of it, which is sluggishness, Mm -hmm. and the inability to maintain that refurbishing carpet every single day has to get rid of yesterday's mess. And when we can't do that every day, so we get overgrowth. There's what's called SIBO and SIFO. And I had SIWO, small intestinal intestinal bacterial bacterial overgrowth. overgrowth. Let's say it together. Small (laughs) (laughs) intestinal fungal overgrowth, overgrowth. And small intestinal... Worm overgrowth. Okay. And it's put in SIPO as well, small in intestinal parasitic, parasitic overgrowth. And these children have invariably guts, which are, that's the word we use, it's not a particularly mm. uh, a soft word, but that's the we have uh, intestinal issues, not because the intest- intestines are necessarily uh, um, compromised, but they cannot function well enough. They, the cells are not well enough. And so they get constipation and they get worms and they get candida, which is a fungus, and they get bacterial overgrowth, and those are toxic.
0: Maybe important to say that it's normal for your gastrointestinal tract to be colonized with microorganisms. Um,
2: Definitely. You have to have that. Absolutely. If we don't have that and they say there's more good bugs in the gut than there are cells in the entire body. Yeah. So we are primarily more of those than we are of ourselves. So
0: it's about biodiversity and balance. Correct. Yeah.
2: And they opportunistically overgrow when there's deficiency of metabolic wellness. Mm -hmm. The way that I approach it is what's your genetic wellness in terms of those six areas and it manifests in different ways. Because ultimately, it's all about cellular wellness. Mm-hmm. And so the way I help them is, let's help your wellness along. And the major impact is done through new supplements. Also, medication, as little as possible, for, for a short, short time as, as possible. possible, when urgent. And then maintenance. You want to do, talk a little bit about nutrition. I have very simple nutritional guidelines for my patients. There are five foods which are known to be inflammatory, meaning they irritate. Not only the people who have compromised metabolisms. Everybody. 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 It's irritating. What can you do? They're irritating foods. Yes. Dairy. Mm-hmm. Dairy is filled with proteins that can be irritating. I mean, we all know swallow a whole glass of milk and you get mucus mm. almost, almost immediately. immediately. It's your body saying, gee, was I got to deal with these wonderful proteins that are coming in. So I, dr- I love dairy. I love dairy. I can handle it, but it's a reality. Dairy has in the main culprit of causing that irritation, something called casein. Mm. It's a protein, casein. So limit casein. If a person's pro-inflammatory, pro-hyper-inflamed, uh, so they should limit dairy. Lots of milk st- uh, alternatives, coconut milk, rice milk, almond milk, even oat milk.
0: Mm, yeah. S- I think this is, it's all becoming more and more trendy, so it's getting easier and easier. Fortunately. Yeah.
2: Unfortunately, uh, hopefully it's it becoming get more and more affordable yes. because it is more expensive. Yeah. The second one is grains, and that's where you get your gluten. Gluten is also protein. It's kind of the equivalent of casein in dairy is the gluten in grains. And gluten is very inflammatory activating. Mm. It's in four grains. It's in wheat, barley, rye, and spelt. Interestingly, oats doesn't have gluten. It has a similar um, um, protein to gluten, but it has no gluten. And so one should avoid those four grains. Um, it's of alternatives. Um, uh, least try to go for oats, but maize and rice and, um, and, uh, uh, false, uh, what do we call them? False grains, sorghum, buckwheat, and that kind of thing yeah. are, are, are fine. So that's a hard one because that's a lot of our baked goods are, um, gluten based, but restrict. Third one is soya. So, it's got a a protein in it, which is also not so, uh, is quite, can be irritating. And then the two which are no brainers are junk food, fast food, you know, uh, because they're full of.
0: God uh, knows what.
2: And the final one is pure sugars. Refined sugars, I mean, in cold drinks and Mm. candies and that kind of thing, they just feed the wrong parts of Mm. our body plenty sugars to be had in healthy things fruits and vegetables seeds and nuts and the grains and of course the mainstay is protein eggs we all understanding now that eggs unless there's an allergy or great great and The old myth that eggs are going to bump you bump off your <laughs> yeah eggs <laughs> yeah. and i encourage every eggs every day and proteins uh, are very important and they encapsulated in more or less a what they call a Mediterranean diet, which has a very you know, lots of colours, lots of healthy, and lots of natural things yeah. um avoid those big five, and that's my broad brushstrokes of dietary um, guidance
0: beautiful, I think that's a perfect place for us to to end for today, and I hope we get to have another conversation in the future i uh, I asked David if he ever feels evangelical at his desk <laughs>
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because
0: I sometimes do and um, I think it's clear for everybody who's listening what passion and interest and beautiful brain cells you are investing in this amazing work that you're doing so thank you for your time and your energy and your passion and thank you for coming out of the clouds back to the earth
2: wow I'm so glad to be back here on earth with you
0: thank you with heart with darkness